This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. What is your next mission from God? We all have one. God has something in mind for us right where we are. Welcome to Your Next Mission from God with Julian Durko, where the saints show us how it's done. They've been through it, and sometimes they even got it wrong before they got it right. Based on Julie's book, Discover Your Next Mission from God, Saints Who Found God's Will and How You Can Too, Julie shares unique stories from the lives of the saints to show how they searched for and discovered God's will for their lives. Helena was a single mom, poor, a commoner, in the very early fourth century in Rome, in the Roman Empire. She had been the common law wife of Constantius. He was a commander in the Roman military, and he was very ambitious, and he was moving up the ranks. But her hope of moving up with him was dashed, was destroyed, because he just cast her off, her and her son, Constantine, and because he needed to to marry another woman for political gain. Her father was also an Augustus of one of the provinces in the Roman Empire. And so Constantius, he marries her and Helena is on her own. But Helena's on her own in a really tough time in history. This time in history, there was great persecution for the church. We remember the Roman circuses where they would throw Christians to the lions or to some animal that had been half starved, you know, before they threw them in there for a spectator sport. If somebody were in the military and they didn't make the offering that they were obliged to make before a campaign, you know, an offering to an idol, then they were found out as a Christian and they were executed immediately. It wasn't always that way, and it wasn't that way everywhere. In certain areas, it was just more difficult to live. You know, culturally, uh, you couldn't work or you would be taxed or whatever. They just made it hard for Christians. And sometimes it was extreme and in other times not so extreme. But it was not a good time to be a Christian. Sometime during this is when Helena actually converts to Christianity, and she becomes a very strong Christian for the end of her life. We don't know what age Constantine was, like if he was little or if he was a little bit older or a teenager. We just don't know that in history, but we know that she became a very committed Christian. And we do know history gives us a lot of evidence that she and Constantine were very close. So anyway, when Constantine gets old enough, he joins his father in the military to learn about it. He's, he's a natural leader. Uh, Constantine is. He's, he's got a mind for strategy. He's a natural leader. And he goes with his father on campaigns. And his father is the Western Augustus. At this time, the Roman Empire wasn't united. There was uh, Augustuses that had a jurisdiction over different areas, provinces. And so it was chunked up in, I think, I don't know, four, four chunks. And he's, his dad is the Western Augustus. And so what happens is that 
his dad just gets ill and dies right during a campaign. He just gets sick and dies. And the troops right then and there, they make Constantine their leader. He's the new Western Augustus and he's very young. History shows us that Constantine goes on to then take the rest of the empire and he becomes the Roman Empire over a unified, unified Roman Empire. And he's the most powerful ruler in the whole wide world at this point. And Constantine names Helena Augusta. And she's the most influential and powerful person in the world next to him. Okay. Not just the most powerful woman, but person. She's got a lot of clout in this new Roman Empire. And what happens? Because she's a Christian, things change. Christianity becomes legalized. It receives the support of the government. Crucifixion is abolished. Now, the Romans were crucifying people, you know, hundreds of years before Christ. I mean, it's part of their culture for longer than we have a history here in the United States. I mean, it's just, it, it's just been a part of everything. And now it's abolished. They no longer will do crucifixions because it's the way that our Lord was killed. So if you can imagine this paradigm shift that's taking place with Constantine and his mother at his side uh, to promote Christianity in Western civilization. So the story is interesting enough just in that here Helena goes from having been a commoner and a single mom to, you know, the most powerful woman in the world. That's a story in itself. But there's another event that happened that a lot of people don't realize. So Constantine, like his father, he casts off his first wife. Interesting that he does that. He also had a son with his first wife. The son's name was Crispus. And Crispus has the same abilities that Constantine has. He has a mind for strategy. He has a way with leadership. He's well-loved. And so he's in line, you know, to follow in his father's footsteps and be the emperor someday, the emperor of all of Rome. And so that's the story. But because of the divorce, Constantine then later marries a younger woman and she has three sons for him. So now Constantine has four sons, one who's older, who's working in the field. He's following his full, his dad's footsteps. And then he's got these three younger sons through his new wife, Fosta. So something happens that's quite out of character. Crispus was sent on some kind of a campaign and he's, he's off somewhere in one of the provinces and Constantine orders him to be jailed. And then shortly after he orders him to be jailed, he orders his execution in his cell without a trial. So we don't know exactly how he changed his mind about his order. Most historians think that probably Helena went to talk to him because what was happening was Fosta had got him to do this. What she said, we do not know, but it was because of his wife, Fosta. And it didn't take much convincing to say, look, Helena is the Augusta. The only way Fosta will ever be an Augusta and ever have that kind of power is if one of her sons becomes the emperor and Crispus is in the way. And so it's a way to get Crispus out of the way. What did she say to Constantine to enrage him, to have him 
execute or put the order out to execute his own son. We can speculate. We can say, well, you know, maybe maybe she said he raped me or something, you know, something really substantial to make him want to kill his own son. So once this is shown to him, we think Helena showed it to him, but could have been somebody else. Once he realizes this, he rescinds the order because, you know, it takes a while to dispatch somebody across the empire to go carry out the deed, the orders. Well, it ends up being too late. Crispus was killed, executed in his jail cell. And all the while that he was being executed, he was proclaiming his innocence. But now he's dead. So this is an interesting thing. What does Constantine do? Well, he orders the execution of his wife. She liked to take the baths in Rome. So they drew up a bath for her and just heated it until she died. Very gruesome way to kill her. Anyway, now let's let's think about Helena. Helena has experienced deep, gut-wrenching loss. She's lost her grandson. But she loved Constantine, and now she fears for his soul. Even though he's allowed her to Christianize the Roman Empire and influence it that way, he is not converted at this point. He had not been baptized. He was not a practicing Christian at this point. So she's worried about his soul too. But I think probably the bigger picture was more, was more daunting for her because there was the potential loss of so many Roman souls. Christianity was new. It was fairly new. And here's the, the ruling family, the Christian family, and this is what they do and this is how they behave. It would be a way to undercut the spread of Christianity in Western civilization by the scandal, you know? And so she's thinking, wow, this is a lot of loss. There's a lot at stake here. So what does she do? She goes to the Lord and she asks that question, the question we should all ask, Lord, what do you want me to do? And she discerns that the Lord wants her to go to the Holy Land and recover the one true cross. And there is very convincing, compelling evidence that she did indeed succeed. There's a book, it's called The Quest for the True Cross. There's more than one, but this is the best one that I know of. The Quest for the True Cross. And the author's last name is spelled D-apostrophe-A-N-C-O-N-A. And I am absolutely convinced, there's a video on it too, I'm absolutely convinced that she did. And the titulus is in Rome. That's the headboard of the of the cross. But anyway... She decides that she needs to go and do this to unify the empire under the true cross of Christ. Now, this pilgrimage expedition will take at least three years. By now, Helena is really old. Think about it. She's in her late 70s at least. And during the early 4th century, the lifespans were pretty short. The average was like 25, but that's because the the child mortality rate was very high. If you survive childhood, you could expect to live average in your 40s. You could see people in their 50s, maybe their 60s. But you didn't see people in their late 70s or 80s. That was just unheard of. So she's absolutely ancient and she's not letting her old age deter her from the mission that God might have for her at this really important juncture in human history. And so she makes the trip and you know, I'm telling you, it was a at least three year trip and it couldn't have been easy, especially at her age. But along the way, we have a quote about that pilgrimage for the true cross. 
and it comes from Eusebius, who was a Roman bishop and a historian. I'm going to read it to you. Quote, especially abundant were the gifts she bestowed upon the naked and the unprotected poor. To some she gave money, to others an ample supply of clothing. She liberated some from imprisonment or from the bitter servitude of the mines. Others she delivered from unjust oppression and others again she restored from exile. Unquote. This is what Helena did on her trip there and back. And she gets back to Rome in time to die. Her job done, her mission accomplished. And Constantine is at her side, but she doesn't get to die seeing his conversion. She didn't get to see it. He does convert later. He is baptized. He does desire the things of the Lord later in his life and wishes he wasn't the emperor, but she didn't get to see it. And how many of us, you know, we pray for our children, our friends, our relatives, and we might die without seeing the Lord's work in their life. Or they might die and we won't see the mercy of God and the fruits of our prayers, but we have a mission. You have yours and I have mine. And God always has a plan. On our next program, we will discuss ordinary lives giving extraordinary witness. This is Julie Anderko with your next mission from God. Pray with me. Jesus Mary, Joseph, we love you. You've been listening to Your Next Mission from God with Julie Onderko, produced at the studios of Mater Dei Radio in Portland, Oregon. To listen to this podcast, visit materdayradio.com. To find out more about Julie's book, Discover Your Next Mission from God, Saints Who Found God's Will and How You Can Too, or if you're in need of a Catholic speaker for a parish mission, retreat, conference, or event, visit catholicfinishstrong.org. That's catholicfinishstrong.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.